Bob. It was a uh, quick, quick trip. Thought about staying, but it's just kind of it's a peculiar tournament on the court. It's a peculiar tournament for for media types. Seating is very restricted, and frankly, I wasn't sure I could get access to the games I wanted to see. So it just seemed the prudent thing to pack up and mosey on back. <laughs> so your wrap-up column that online is uh, headline March basketball is cruel never more than in this pandemic season. And your lead, immersed in game preparation, Tony Bennett was unaware of Saturday night's breaking news. VCU departing the NCAA tournament because of the COVID-19 outbreak. So I would ask you, David, what were you immersed in when that news broke, and what was your initial thought and reaction? Bob, it was one of those holy moly moments. And Mike Barber and I, my, my colleague from the TD, we had just sat down along the press row at Assembly Hall for that night's UVA-Ohio game, which was scheduled to tip at 7.15, and just, you know, accessing the wireless and everything, and my phone buzzes with an email, and I, uh, I was just, you know, you're just dumbstruck. We all knew it was possible, but as soon as I saw VCU Oregon, I mean, my heart just sank. Hey, I don't know how. I called it, you know, a gut punch was certainly uh, – probably most minimal at that point for VCU. And then you kind of followed up with that, and I know uh, Wayne Epps was also working that story as well. Um, How did you try to frame that once we knew of the disappointment for VCU and everything that went on in that scenario for the Rams, David? Well, I'll tell you what, Bob. I give Ed McLaughlin, VCU's athletic director, and Mike Rhodes, the Rams head coach, a lot of credit here. I mean, they could have easily gone in the bunker now. And I know a lot of ADs and coaches who would have, but they were quickly on a zoom with reporters to answer questions best they could within the parameters of privacy law. And they, I thought they were as transparent as they could be. I thought they offered context and perspective in a very painful moment. And that's, that's not easy. You know, we, we, we in the media have it. Uh, we have a pretty good gig and occasionally we are a thorn in the backside to folks just because we ask questions that are uncomfortable or at uncomfortable moments And this was one of those, and they didn't shy away from it. And I think they deserve uh, our thanks for that. One of the things Mike Rhodes said was that he would deflect uh, placing any blame anywhere. That that didn't make any sense at this point. What's done is done. It's not a matter of pointing a finger at anyone. That having been said, it does seem like there is some friction right now perhaps with the Atlantic 10 and I know the story that uh, you and Wayne Epps combined on uh, speaking of you know transparency Bernadette McGlade 
spoke with you guys about this for one of your stories as well. What was kind of, you know, her temperament as you talked with her and asked some of those hard-hitting questions that I know a lot of fans are asking even today? Well, I think she was fiercely defensive when it came to uh, the protocol that the A-10 put in place for the, its championship game in Dayton. And I agree with Mike Rhodes, Bob. The virus is so random, and none of us, uh, or darn few of us, are scientists or epidemiologists. But I think one thing that we've learned is that tracing these infections borders on impossible. And to attempt to say, okay, this is where it happened, just seems to me a a fruitless exercise. And a lot of people made the connection between Roger Ayers, the official who who tested positive. I think that's blatantly unfair Mm -hmm. to him. And, oh, by the way, he went through all the testing protocols all season. He tested negative when he arrived in Dayton on that Saturday night for the next day's assignment. I don't know what else he was supposed to do or the Atlantic 10 was supposed to do. Catching up with David Teal, Richmond Times Dispatch, Richmond.com, talking NCAA basketball. Totally agree with you on the Roger Ayers thing. I'd made that that point earlier as well. So let's move on. Let's go beyond that. Uh, the games that were played, as you said, you were front and center for Virginia's game. David, is there anything Virginia could have done to have reversed that outcome in that game? And obviously they were dealing with their long pause as well. And as we saw all during the regular season, long pauses more often than not, adversely affected teams trying to come out of them. Absolutely, they did, Bob. And where it was different in the NCAA tournament is Virginia had no ability to practice other than one workout before its game against Ohio. During the regular season, you could control it a little bit. You could tell your conference or you could tell your opponent hey, we need a couple of days here before we have a game to get our legs a little bit under us for the actual competition. Virginia didn't have that luxury. It practiced Friday morning in Charlottesville, got on an airplane to Indianapolis, and then immediately went into isolation again for two more rounds of testing, then had a Saturday walkthrough before the Saturday night game. You know, what could the Cavaliers have done better or, or differently? Make some shots because that was, it was Virginia's worst shooting performance of the season. My, my um, you know, sit on the couch coaching Monday morning quarterback, I, and maybe this was a result of the pandemic, uh, David, because they weren't in condition to do this and they didn't have prep time. I would have tried to do something to pick up the pace. You know, it got even frustrating to me watching how slow and methodical Ohio went, particularly once they got the lead. And I just wish there was something Virginia could have done to speed up the game a little bit. That's not the Cavaliers. No. They play the slowest tempo in the country. Yeah. That's a tough one. That was really, really tough on that. How about Virginia Tech? Uh, I I really thought when they tied it with the three-pointer, David, at the end of regulation, that they had all the momentum and they were going to win that game. 
I did too, Bob. But then when Keve Aluma and Justin Mutz mm-hmm. fouled out in overtime, they were toast. Yeah, they just didn't have enough bodies to, to handle Florida, and it, it was strange. You know, after the game, I asked Mike Young, "How would you evaluate your defense? Because that's the best any opponent has shot against you all season." And the guy adjusted his glasses and looked at the stat sheet. And he used this word, he said, I'm flabbergasted <laughs> that Florida shot 56% because I thought we guarded really well. Yeah, And I think they did too. I mean, that step back three that Trey Mann hit in overtime that proved to be the dagger, I mean, it was really well guarded by Cordell Pemsel on a switch off a screen and – you know, the, the kid's a 6'5 guard. Pimsel's like a 6'8 forward. He's draped all over him. Kid steps back and hits a deep three. And that's that's tough to that's tough to overcome. Absolutely. Finishing up with David Teal from the Richmond Times-Dispatch this morning, talking some, some March Madness. Uh, whether Gonzaga wins this thing or one of these double-digit seeds remaining gets to the Final Four, Whatever, David, if you go to sit down and write an end-of-year piece, I know you kind of wrote the end-of-Virginia's-run piece, Commonwealth of Virginia's-run piece. How do you think this NCAA tournament will be framed and remembered when we get to April 5th? Well, it will always be framed by the pandemic. But if, as you suggest, it's a double-digit seed, celebrating then we will remark that this was truly the maddest of all the march madnesses but if it's gonzaga and we're talking about the first undefeated champion since indiana in 1976 i think we're comparing it to the college football season that for all the craziness we ended up with the best team all season long celebrating at the end. I mean, Gonzaga is the first team in history, Bob, to have three guys make the three All-American teams that the United States basketball writers put votes on. I mean, Drew Drew Timmy and and Corey Kispert and the the, the freshman point guard Suggs, Jalen Suggs, I mean, that's... You're talking three of your five are among the 15 best players in the country. <laughs> you should win it, other than it's March Madness, David. That's... <laughs> yeah, yeah, a lot of sh- a lot of should have have packed up and left Indianapolis, <laughs> including you. Unfortunately, wish you wish we were talking to you still from Indy, but uh, I'm sure we will ring your phone here before this tournament is over again and get some more perspective uh, from you. Great job out there, and uh, look forward to the rest of the tournament and catching up with you, David. Sounds great, Bob. Thanks for having me.